last in our series in the book of Philippians. It's been a proper series, but it's most certainly not going to be the last time that we're ever going to look at Philippians and what it really means to build a, a Jesus church in a city. And so uh, we are speaking about, I think, one of the most often quoted scriptures in the Bible that we all use. But I certainly think it's one of the most misquoted scriptures that a lot of us use. And this is it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've heard that verse, Philippians 4 verse 13. So you can turn there into Philippians chapter 4. Or you can look at it on your smartphone. I've got a mate who's brought his Bible to church for the very first time today. But it's awesome uh, seeing you walking here with that Bible in your hand. But... And so maybe you know what they put, I'm not going to single you out, but there might be someone sitting around you who doesn't have a Bible, and you've been using your smartphone. He told me at the Wimpy, I use my smartphone. Maybe today, look, there might be someone behind you or next to you who doesn't have a Bible. Give them yours just for today, and then use your smartphone if you want to be kind and bless someone with God's Word. So I've seen this phrase being printed on, on rugby jerseys. Uh, mates of mine's got it on his son's rugby jersey, and then I've seen it on cycling jerseys on the back of an oak's back, and then he rides away from me in the dark on North Rand Road because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I used that verse this week because last week I made myself vulnerable and I told my mates that I'm a useless cook, and they laughed at me, they teased at me, they teased me. So I said, You know what? I'm going to show these oaks this week. And so I put on that apron. And I pulled out the pots and the pans in the kitchen, and I took out the packet of pasta, and it was a disaster. <laughs> pasta, pasta, we got a disaster. I'm useless at cooking. Anyway, we claim these amazing scriptures, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we don't know the context. We don't know the background of those verses. And so I want to ask today, that God would show us the context of what this verse really means. That we would understand it today in a school hall. Yeah, I'm going to pick on this big oak here. But I want to ask that you pray, Herod, that God would open people's hearts today. And, and that the Holy Spirit would show everyone here in this hall. Even a mom standing at the back with a child in her arms. What, what this verse really means. But pray from your heart, bro. God, first of all, thank you for bringing us all here today safely and giving us a good night rest. Um, I would just say that the biggest thing that stands out in this verse is that the world knocks you on your knees. And if you try to do it all by yourself and you think you're a strong person, you do need Jesus to pull you through and to guide you in the right direction. Uh, there's a lot of things that the devil puts in front of you that you think is not from him. And you need Jesus' wisdom and you need to pray to him every day to ask him for the next day so that he can warn you for anything that the devil might bring against you. Um, and any challenge that you do get, no matter how big or how small, um, if you always pray through Jesus and you come back through him and use his light and his wisdom, uh, you will always find a way to overcome any challenge because the devil has been defeated. He knows that and he's just waiting for his turn for Jesus to come down and put him in his place. And Jesus has bestowed his power that he has the day he walked into hell, took the keys from the devil. 
into us and every one of us so that we can use it against the devil. So through Christ, you can do anything, and you must just remember that you're on the winning side. Amen. Yeah, thank you for that, Herod. You're incredible. But so let's look at verse Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1 as we look at this verse together. Have you got it in your, in your Bibles, friends? It's not on the screen. Sorry for you. Sorry, not sorry if you don't have it with you. Please bring your Bible because you've got to look at it from God's Word. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, this is Paul speaking to us, my joy and crown, look at that, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So this verse, this text in Philippians, friends, is talking about us standing firm. And the best way of picturing that is having somebody stand behind you, standing firm, making sure that you stand firm. The theologians say that when you read that word stand firm, you need to understand that it's talking about everything that's written before those words stand firm and everything after those words stand firm. So whatever's written before and after stand firm, that's what we must stand firm on. So actually this text is telling us as Christians, stand firm. I did a wedding recently for a couple. Both of them went through terrific storms, challenges in their life through their previous marriages, how a husband trusts God with faith that his previous wife is going to survive cancer, and right up until the end still believes that God will heal my wife, and, and God takes her and she passes on. And, and then a few years later, his son dies of cancer. He goes through terrific challenges, and how through his faith this man stood firm. And the bride, she was married to a man who certainly didn't treat her like gold. Had affair after affair. And how she ended up bringing her kids on her own through tough, tough times. But she stood firm in her faith. And it was an amazing wedding how you saw people honor this man and this woman for standing firm. Serving a God, a God of second chances. Seeing them get married together, it was beautiful. You know what happens when I go through a difficult situation, and maybe for you... The minute you, you, you go through a, a difficult situation, my faith starts to wobble. My faith starts to shake. And this verse is telling us, it's explaining to us, we've got to stand firm. I want to say, especially to the young people today, see a couple of you, nice having you, Kayla from Australia, great having you here, Kaylee from Australia. We're all going to go through trials. We're going to go through financial situations, di very difficult circumstances. Paul is writing this today to the young people, stand firm, stand firm. And the best way to illustrate what it really means to stand firm, something like this. Let me look for a skin. Jared, come here, my butt. Come up here quickly, but Yeah, I need, a, I need a ripped skinny oak, not a buff oak like these crossfit oaks. The, I had a mate who was in the fire department, and he used to tell me how they used to get that man. Uh, stand like that, but Yeah, just put your one leg a bit forward, like stand a bit firm like that. Yeah. So, so this guy's holding that, that fire hydrant that's connected to that truck down the road. And my mate told me how they used to make sure that this guy with the hose pipe had to stand firm. And they would get somebody, sometimes different techniques, to come and stand behind him like this and help him to stand firm. So that's what it means to really stand firm. Because when that truck turns that pressure on, it's not your WAP machine that cleans your KTM off-road. There's pressure that comes through. The pressures of life. We've got to stand 
firm. It's not moment. It's what it's telling us here, friends. Stand firm. When the pressure increases, stand firm. And this is how you and I can stand firm. Let's carry on reading. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, you see it says it in your Bible, dear friends, very relational. He's calling them brothers. He's calling them sisters. He's calling us friends. He really wants his friends. He really wants his mates to stand firm in the faith. I plead with you, Judea, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. So these are two ladies in the church. They're going through a bit of relational tension between the two of them. Paul doesn't tell us what they're battling with in their conflict. I think I know, but I'm not going to tell you because I think it's a preach for another day. Two ladies battling. And there's four things here that Paul is telling us that we've got to stand firm in. The first one is relational unity. He's pleading with these two ladies. Sort this issue out between the two of you. That's what we need to stand firm in, friends. Relational unity. You know what happens when I go through relational issues in my life with someone? My, my peace falls away. Have it happened to you? You're going through a bit of relational tension at the office or with, with a friendship or with your siblings. Spoke to a man this morning going through stuff between him and his sisters and his brothers and his mom and dad, previous boyfriends. When you have that in relational tension, your peace is gone. God says, if you want to stand firm, you've got to make sure that there's relational unity, as, at least as far as it depends on you. And there's a few relationships in my life at the moment that I don't have relational unity with. And in my own fumbling way, I've, I've tried to create unity, and, 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 and it hasn't gone well, it hasn't worked. As far as possible, have a peace with all men. So it's not this perfect world where we live at peace with everyone, but as far as, the, as it depends on us, we do what we can to have peace with men. That's number one, relational unity. Stand firm in that, friends. Number two. The second area that we need to stand firm in is prayer. Have a look what it says in verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Watch this. And the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in the knowledge and the love of Christ. So that picture there is when you pray... It's like Jesus coming and standing in front of you and guarding you so that nothing can come against you. Nothing can come in front of you. Nothing can get to you. So my heart, what's your heart? My heart's my feelings. My feelings are the things that make me anxious. My mind, my thoughts, my thoughts make me anxious. My feelings and my thoughts are the two things that betray me. And maybe you're here today and your heart your feelings, your thoughts, your mind has led you astray. I want to challenge you here today. Come back. Come back to Jesus and stand firm. Come back today and stand firm. And ask Jesus to help him guard your heart, guard your mind. This scripture is saying, Jesus comes in front of me. Instead of me fighting the battles on my own, trying to guard my heart, trying to guard my mind, he comes and stands in front of me. 
Paul says, in this way, my dear brothers, by praying, you will stand firm. So when the pressure comes into that host pipe, and it almost takes Jared off his feet, he stands firm through prayer. Number three, the third area that we need to stand firm in, friends, if we look at this text, is the area of our thought life. It says, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is true, stand firm. Have a look there, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Say true. You know how many of our false thoughts, friends, come and cause us to lose the peace of God in our lives. You know those thoughts, eh? When something wakes you up at 2 in the morning, and it's the rats, or it's the dog next door, and then you lie there. And then those thoughts start coming. Thoughts that take away my peace in my heart. And those thoughts that make us wobble. The Bible says if they're not true, don't think about them. Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is true, think about those thoughts. And so our thought lives, one of the greatest areas that come, make us lose our standing, make us shake. Verse 9, whatever you've learnt or received or heard, look at this, from me, Paul says, or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying whatever you've learnt from me, guys, it's, like, it's incredible. Whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've, you've learnt from me or heard from me, that's number four, friends. Stand firm in the godly examples that God puts around you in your life. We all have those godly examples that God puts in our lives. Because our faith goes through seasons. I mean, these flowers are beautiful, but they, they're symbolic of us going into winter. Different colors. The oak trees losing their leaves in Webb Street. We're going through the season. Sometimes our faith goes through different, different seasons, don't you think? We need, we need seasoned campaigners to stand alongside us who have been through the winters and the tough times. That couple who have been through everything, standing firm, encouraging us to carry on. I sat with a man on a green bench on Thursday afternoon. His marriage is in a mess. One or two decisions that I think both of them have made. And he's sitting telling me where he's at, talking about his marriage. And he's saying, oh, you 20 years, you're on the roll. I said, but... I'm looking at seasoned campaigners who have gone before me in their faith who are married 30 years and 40 years and 50 years. And if I don't have those seasoned campaigners in my life, but come on, I'm saying to him, come on, let's do this together as we grow our faith and as we stand firm as husbands and as dads. Those are the four areas that we need to stand firm in, friends. We've got to stand firm in relational unity. got to stand firm in our, in our prayer life. We've got to stand very firm in our thought life. And we've got to stand firm as we follow godly examples. Those are the four points. When the pressure comes and the truths that we don't have, we've got to lean into these. We've got to stand firm. They're going to help us. Let's have a look at our text for the day. Verse 10. Got it there. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He says, indeed, you have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. There's two things in the Christian faith, friends. There's concern and there's opportunity. And and Paul's telling him, he says, guys, I know you've been concerned, but you haven't had opportunity. 
We're always going to have opportunity in Benoni, in our family here at Freedom. But are we going to be concerned? Or are we going to say, you know what, I'm a little bit concerned, but someone else will go and take care of that opportunity. They go hand in hand, friends. There's a couple sitting at Freedom Church for the past couple of months. They've been going through a dire financial difficult situation in their lives. And another man has it on his heart to employ this man and give him a job. There was concern in that husband and wife. This man could create opportunity. The two came together. And we have concern. All of us have concern. But it can't be something like this. Where that pastor, I heard about him putting on Facebook, my dishwasher's packed up, trusting God for a new dishwasher. (laughs) My life, bud. How much is he really trusting God for a new dishwasher? Let's not look to man when we have concern. Let's trust God that he will meet our concern. And very often he does use people around us to help us. He, will, he, he does do that. But let's, let's trust God and not man. Amen? Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Say I've learned. How many of you like learning? You don't have to put up your hands because you'll probably think, oh, you're bragging. But I know some of you. You guys will do a seven-year degree and, and you'll clap it in four. I mean, you love it. And some of your kids, they love learning. I hate learning. I battle. I don't like learning. Let's be honest, friends. Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I want us this morning to have a look at what are the circumstances that Paul went through to learn to be content. And we're going to find it there in 2 Corinthians. Don't get nervous. She's watching, but you can show her where you know it is in the Bible. Just flick a few pages back. Just three books back to 2 Corinthians. It's right there in your Bible. You've got to find it because it's not on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's easy to find. A couple pages back. How many of you sitting here this morning are going through tough circumstances? Relational, financial, academic. Put your hands up. Because I'm going to put mine up. Some of you are lying because I know your stories. You're not putting your hands up. There we go. We're going through situations that are tough, difficult situations. I want us this morning to see what Paul went through. Verse 21. The circumstances where he learned to be content. Verse 21. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Why do you think Paul's saying, I'm actually out of my mind to be writing and talking like this? I think Paul so desperately wants us to know he's not bragging. He's not trying to tell us, I'm the man, guys. But he's writing this for a reason. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder, being in prison more frequently, 
being flogged more severely, and being exposed to death again and again. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing this morning, Daryl, in your situation, bud? Verse 24, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 times. 39 smacks with a cord that was laced with glass or stone or lead. Five times. Five times 39. 195 times he's taken smacks with that cord. How are you doing? Three times I was beaten with rods. So if the lashes weren't good enough, 195 of those, I got the rod five times. Got beaten with that. Once I was stoned. And my but we're not talking about the stone that we spoke about at the wimpy two weeks back, hey, but when you when you got stoned. Not the same, eh, but so, so don't think now Paul's writing about getting stoned. They're completely different, eh, my but okay. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Maybe in my own words, I've been on the run. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from my false brothers. This one jumped out at me. He thought he had mates. He thought he had brothers, but they were false. I've labored and I've toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all of the churches. You see, friends, sometimes I think that you and I are actually babies. I think we are. And God wants to mature us. Because we can't just claim these texts. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't know them. We haven't learned them. We don't know what's behind them. We don't know the truth that we can lean back on. And when the pressure's on, and we come and we start to shake and our faith starts to wobble. You know why? Because we haven't gone back and learned the text, what's behind it. And what it really means to stand firm. In all circumstances. It's a secret. Paul learns a secret here. Let's go back to Philippians. Go back there to chapter 4 verse 10. You got it. I meant to tell you to put your finger in there. Sorry. So just go back. Philippians 4 verse 10. It says, Paul again, he's saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever. Say whatever. whatever. Underline that word, whatever. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. We've just heard what his circumstances were. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it means to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Say being content. I've learned this, he's saying. I've learned to be content in all my floggings, being beaten severely. He's writing from prison. He's maybe hungry. I think he's probably tired. He's facing the death sentence. And he says, I am perfectly content here writing in this prison cell. How are we doing? You know why? Because I face some little trials and challenges and my faith starts to wobble. The smallest trial 
I can do everything through him. Say through him. Through him who gives me strength. There's four simple points that I want us to take and study this week. A mate of mine said, where do I start reading the Bible? Just go home tomorrow. Just take these four points and study them. Monday and Tuesday, just one a day. Or one every two days. Four very simple points. Number one, contentment is learned. We learn contentment. Contentment is learned. And we learn contentment through the tests, the Zimmermans, through the tests that we go through. And often we lose our contentment because we live in a world that is constantly saying, compare yourself to others. That's the problem. We're comparing ourselves to others. See that beautiful girl there? Her name's Tracy. I won't embarrass her, but she's sitting there. I think people compare themselves to her. Because she's a successful career woman at Kenya Airlines. And she's just been able to go to New York. And she's been able to go and visit Rockefeller and skate there on the ice rink. They went up Empire State Building, which I don't know. I I would have gone up Rockefeller rather. You know what they say about that man, John D. Rockefeller, 1929. He builds this building. He's one of the richest men in America. The stock exchange crumbles. He says, I'll build it myself with my own finance. They say to him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You and I live in a world that says just a little bit more. You know what the theologians say? Might be on the board for us. There's a condition in the human heart that says, if I can dream of a better life, but know that I will never get there, discontent will constantly be the rule of my home. It's quite deep. I had to put it on the board to understand it properly. Get If there's a condition in your heart that says, you know what, I'm dreaming of this world. I I want that. I want this. But I know that I'll never get it. I'm going to become discontented. Well, you know what, friends? We're living in a a world, in a city, in Gauteng. We're constantly comparing house, car, finance, retirement, wives, athletic bodies. We're constantly comparing And we've got to realize, where where does contentment come from? Contentment doesn't come from external viewing. Being content comes from being internally looking at Jesus. Then you and I will be content. I want to say that again. Contentment comes from looking from within at Jesus. And I want to say to the young people especially, you'll learn this lesson. Some of us will take seven years to learn it. Others of us will smash it in four years. But we've got to learn this lesson of what it really means to be content. Because, Kaylee, when you go back to Australia, there's a world out there that's very discontented. There's moaning. There's groaning. There's complaining. And they need to look at people who are content, looking from within at Jesus, not looking externally. We've got to stop this discontentment in its tracks, friends, and say wherever, whenever, in any circumstance, I am content because I have learnt. And if we're going to want to change our city for Jesus and be a Jesus church in Benoni, in every and any and whatever circumstance, we've got to learn to be content. 
That's number one. The second thing that we see from this text, friends, it's not based on circumstances. You see there, he said, I'm content in all circumstances, whether in need or well fed. And one of the greatest things we see in Benoni are people who've got serious abundance and their circumstances are fantastic, but they're not happy. What does it mean to be content? Being content is when I have an inner peace despite my circumstances and what I don't have. And contentment can only come from an inner peace, friends, knowing that Jesus knows my needs. He knows my needs, and He knows where I'm at right now in my life. So a man showed me his golf clubs yesterday. Mizuno, I think they're probably quite good. Now I'm going to hit that ball hard, but And my mates, oh, they're like, wow, these clubs are amazing. And men chase golf clubs, better golf clubs, so they can hit further, spend more time on the golf course. Trying to change your circumstances, trying to change things will never make you content. And you're sitting there saying, stop lecturing me, Daryl. Stop lecturing the golfers. Okay, I won't. I'll talk about the mountain bikers and the cyclists. I'll talk about myself. Man, that helmet looks much better. And those shoes, I tell you what, they're going to be a lot more comfier. And if I get those wheels, I'm going to be a lot faster. I'm probably one of the most discontented people around. I'm always wanting things different, better, but faster. I want worship a certain way. And that 8 o'clock prayer meeting outside, I want, I want it that way. No, Daryl. Just stand firm. Just stand firm and find the peace of God in Jesus. Stand firm. Find peace in your heart from Jesus, Daryl. See, friends, we cannot be dreaming of a better materialistic world. We've got to find contentment in Jesus. We're not going to find it in stuff around us. Contentment's got nothing to do with our circumstances. And, and so if you're sitting here today, you're under immense pressure. That host pipe, the pressure's massive. Maybe you're angry with God. Paul says to you, I've known what it's like to have nothing. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been put into jail. I've got no food. I'm hungry. I've been in the sea. And he says, I am perfectly content. It's very challenging, eh? Number three, the third thing is that it's a secret. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. Where do you learn secrets? Bad secrets grow in the dark. Where do you learn good secrets? What's the opposite of dark? Come on and work with me here. Light. Who's the light? Jesus. We learn this secret in Jesus. We don't learn secrets in public places. I don't walk in seeing my mate's car parked outside Piazza on a Friday night and say to them in the middle of the restaurant, Hey guys, how's it? I want to tell you a secret. You, you don't do that. You, you learn secrets in secret places where you whisper things to people. Paul says, this is a secret. I've learned this secret. You can't make public declarations outside and put it on rugby jerseys. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you haven't learned the secret. You've got to learn the secret. And I've been challenged this week. I've been very challenged this week because I sit with people on a green bench. And I tell him stories from the Bible about men who stood firm. 
Have you learned the secret, Daryl? I quote scripture to someone over the phone when I pray for them. Have I learned the secret, Daryl? Learn the secret in the secret place, Daryl. Remember we spoke about how God calls us. Speak louder, God. Come closer. Speak louder, Lord. I cannot hear you. Come closer. What's that, God? I'm busy. I'm trying to sort my marriage out and my finance. Come closer. Why, God? I want to tell you a secret. You can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens you? Despite your financial situation, despite the relational tension, despite your financial situations, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I learned the secret. It's not easy to come to that quiet place, is it? We're busy, eh? We're on the move. I'll do it on the way to work. And the enemy loves it when Daryl's busy. Because he doesn't get in the secret place. <laughs> Got to get to the secret place. Learn the secret of what it means to be victorious and able to do anything and go through anything that comes our way. Number four, and we finish with this one, friends. It's all about Jesus. It's all linked to Jesus. He says, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Through Jesus who gives me strength. In John 15 it says, Jesus is the vine, I am the branches. The Father is the gardener. My Father in heaven comes and he cuts the branches. Without him, I can do nothing. And we've got people making incredible declarations of texts from the Bible without understanding what it means. That without him I can do nothing. And so Paul said, through him, I can go through jail. Through him, I can face my false brothers. Through him, I can face that financial situation. Through him, I can take the lashes. And friends, I know many of you are sitting here in difficult situations. I know that. And, and you're saying, Daryl, you don't. You don't know my story. Okay, maybe I don't. But I do know this. That Paul went through very, very, very difficult situations and circumstances. And he wants to share a secret with us today. That in Christ, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Joseph and David, two incredible men. Both found themselves in very difficult sexual situations. One man stood firm. The other man buckled. That phone's ringing to somebody. This week you're going to be faced with difficult situations. Someone may phone you. Someone may WhatsApp you a photo or a link to a site. We're going to be faced with very difficult situations. And when the pressure mounts and you feel like you're going to be ripped off your feet because of that pressure, stand firm. You've got to know that you are leaning on a text that does say, I can do all things through Christ, but we've got to stand firm. Stand very firm, Freedom Church, in the name of Jesus. Let's build. 
a Jesus church together so that our city, a city that's named full of sorrow, can become a joyful city. Let's learn to be content despite our circumstances in the secret place with Jesus so that our city can be changed from sorrow to joy. In Jesus' name, amen.